If you have a device, you can turn to Acts 10 or a real Bible, you can turn to Acts 10 as well. A real Bible, do you see how I said that? And what I mean by real is like one like this with pages, dead trees. Acts 10. I just offended somebody with that comment. If you guys remember last week, if you were here and I just said, man, I just wish somebody would breathe on me so I could get that flu that everybody had. Um, God said, Ronnie, I have heard your request and uh, it happened, but he's been gracious. I'm, I'm getting through it. I'm standing. Last time this happened last year, I was sitting, so I'm happy to be standing. Acts 10. And we're going to be going through the entire chapter of Acts 10 and then part of the way through 11. So we got a lot, a lot of reading ahead of us. You know, God has this habit of continuing to put fresh coats of paint in a way on those areas in your life that need touching up of reminding us um, through things like this, through sermons, through Bible reading, through personal reflection, through our times of fellowship, that there are areas that we need growth in. There, there's categories that we need to shift from worldly to godly perspectives in and sinful hearts that we need to flat out repent of because they lack compatibility with the heart of Jesus. And here's what's good about what I just said, because God is not a mean dad who just wants us to get it right or else. Um, he's, he's patient with us, right? So what we know about God as a father that's different than us as fathers or the fathers we have is that he's, he's patient with us. He's loving in his correction and in his rebuke. He's kind in the ways that he reveals problem areas in our lives. Um, the question for us, given that truth, is will we listen to him? And then will we obey him when he surfaces those uh, areas in our lives? So we have had this, uh, we have this upstairs bathroom and we have a bathtub in it. We've had this leak in our upstairs bathtub for like years. It's crazy. Um, it's like leaked down. It's created all this like water damage in our, in the, uh, in our the ceiling, in our, in our living room. Um, we've even had this leak patched up a couple of times. The problem is that we actually need a new tub, right? Um, patching it up with super glue or whatever my wife uses when she gets to work on that stuff. Um, it's just not working anymore. Um, so as Jesus continues, as we've seen in the book of Acts, to build the early church, what we see is we see this process that he uses, especially in the life of Peter, where we see him personally working in Peter's heart while simultaneously working through Peter's hands, right? Peter doesn't have all of his theology worked out. He has places that need to be patched up. He needs reshaping. He needs growth in some areas. He needs correction. And God the whole time is graciously doing that. And that's what we're going to see here this morning is some of the ways that God is sort of reshaping Peter. And that should be a massive encouragement for us this morning in that God will use you as he patches your leaks and replaces those spiritually bad parts with new parts. That's what we see happening here 
in the life of Peter as God is introducing him to his grand plan that he always had for his building of the church. So let's just pick up. I'm going to put this down because last time I put it up there, it fell and it got all over Ethan. Um, So we're going to read Acts 10 now. Verse 1, you can follow along. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Verse 9, the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Verse 17, now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Verse 24, and on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and he had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for you, I came without objection. I ask then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. 
Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Why don't we just stop there for right now? Because what we're going to see here really in three parts that God does with Peter and does in our own lives is that he confronts problem areas in our lives. He does it through the message of the gospel and he does it so that his glory is magnified. And that is what we see in this really interesting and almost unusual story of Cornelius and Peter. So the first thing that we see God doing here is that he is confronting a problem area with Peter in verses 1 through 33. He begins by calling on this guy named Cornelius, this respected man who served Rome as part of this Italian cohort. Interesting guy because he held a position of high authority and yet we're told he's a devout man who feared God. Now saying that he simply feared God was an indicator to us that he um, was not circumcised, that he did not hold to the dietary laws of the Jewish faith. In other words, he didn't have a, a kosher diet, but yet he had this um, belief in the God of the Jewish people to the point that he gave alms to the Jews and he respected them and he um, held them in esteem and high esteem. So this was a, a brother who worshiped the God of the Jewish people. Well, at the same time, we would say he probably lacked a full understanding of the Jewish faith. So God, right from the beginning here, is doing something in Cornelius's heart. He was drawing him and his household to himself with this vision that one day he sends to Cornelius, which by the way, it says terrifies him. Whenever we see people that see a vision or come have an encounter with an angel of the Lord, they're, they're not just really happy. They're not thinking, hey, this reminds me of all the, the Cupid books that mom like read me at Valentine's Day when I grew up, but they're terrified because they're seeing something that is not like them. They're seeing something holy. So this vision comes to Cornelius and he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to send some men to Joppa for this man named Peter. And so Cornelius being somebody who commands men and soldiers under his ranking, what does he do but obey the word of the angel and send men to Peter? Now, as these men reach the city of Joppa, we read here that Peter himself receives his own vision. And in the vision, God commands Peter three times as this sheet falls from heaven with all of these animals, all of these reptiles, all of these, all of these, uh, all of this food, so to say, that would have not been kosher for Jewish people to eat. He commands Peter three times to kill and to eat. Eat this unclean, this non-kosher food according to Jewish dietary laws that would be not good for him to eat. All three times, Peter says, no way. All three times, Peter likely believing that maybe he's being tested here, he says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, what we see here later in Peter's response to Cornelius is that the Lord was aiming at something else entirely. And so what does God reply to Peter? The angel says, what God has made clean, do not call common. So interestingly, as Peter has been doing this work, as Jesus has been building the early church, 
there's this moment where God confronts Peter because he was getting ready to launch his mission to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And he needed to correct Peter's theology. And by the way, that wouldn't be the last time that we see this happen with Peter. But Peter needed to understand what God was doing with a race of people that he was raised to despise. And in the same way, we understand the ways that God confronts us. How has God confronted you about your opinion of others if you're able to reflect on the years of your life? How has God confronted you when it comes to different races, religions, or people of a different socioeconomic status? Because what we think about others that are different than us says everything about what we think about God and the great commission in Matthew 28. So Peter's rebuke here is something that we wanna take very seriously as a rebuke to us, as a reminder to us, as something to bring a little bit of sobriety to our hearts in the ways in which we think of those that aren't like us in many different ways. Because if we are the Lord's people, he will confront us on matters that should never be true about the Lord's people. Does that make sense? So the question is, are we ready to receive the kind of rebuke that Peter here is receiving from the Lord? Because many times it comes gently like it did here with Peter. The question for us is, do we want to remain willfully oblivious or do we want to obey the way Peter obeys God's voice? And it doesn't mean that Peter wasn't perplexed. Peter is perplexed, it says, by the vision, but he obeys, obeys the voice of the Spirit who instructs him about these men that are coming from Cornelius who sent them over. So Peter begins his obedience to the Lord by doing what? By disobeying Jewish law. Isn't that interesting for us? As we think about the things that God has called us to do that are going to be in direct disobedience and contrast with the things that sometimes uh, society uh, or our community or our nation is calling us to do that fly in the face of what God has called us to do. Peter invites Gentiles into his home. He then travels to Cornelius' home. Both of those things were absolutely, how shall we say, like no-nos, right? According to Jewish law. But as Peter obeys the heart of God in this matter, what we see uniquely is that God is doing something in Peter's heart. And don't think for a minute that Peter didn't realize that this was going to come at a cost for him. So what we see here already, just in these early verses, that there's a theme here which tells us something about what and who God loves. In fact, you go all the way back to the book of Hosea, this Old Testament prophet, and this is what God said. He said, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt Offerings. So there's something that God wants. There's something in our even keeping of the law that comes second to the desire of God's heart to love and obey him by accepting and receiving the people that he accepts and that he loves. So Peter arrives at the home of Cornelius 
And it says, interestingly enough, that they fall at his feet to worship him. Again, you're talking about somebody that knows a little bit about something about Jewish law, but he doesn't exactly know what it means to be a worshiper of God. And Peter says in verse 26, hey, stand up, brother. I too am a man. You're getting this a little wrong, but God apparently and obviously has brought me here to show you and to instruct you in these things. So right from the beginning, through Peter's obedience, we see God instructing Cornelius. We see him instructing Cornelius by showing him that God's servants are not God. Thankfully, none of y'all have ever thought that about me, right? But do you, do you get what I'm saying here? God's intention in bringing Peter to this group of Gentiles is so their hearts will be changed through gospel transformation, Peter's obedience has an end game, just like your obedience has an end game, which is that God gets the glory through the gospel in you and then through you. So not only does Peter's obedience bless the house of Cornelius, God uses the moment to illuminate Peter's mind as well. He finally understands that the vision he received wasn't really about eating kosher food or not but about God's plan to make all people clean by grace alone through faith alone. Remember in the book of Matthew, when Jesus was arguing with the Pharisees and he said, look, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what originates in the heart and comes out of the mouth. That is what defiles a person. So God confronts this problem area with Peter, and he does it through the message of the gospel. Look what comes next in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. So Peter, God is confronting Peter in this particular problem area and he does it through the message of the gospel, through Peter's preaching of the gospel. And the first thing Peter says is there's no partiality. 
So the gospel that we preach, the gospel that you have received, the gospel that has saved you and is sanctifying you is a gospel of no partiality. Every nation, it says, who fears him is acceptable because why? He is Lord of all. How do we break this down more simply? Well, it's simply this. Peter preaches Jesus. Peter preaches Jesus. Jesus, who was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. Jesus, who healed all who were oppressed by the devil. Jesus, who had witnesses give testimony of his death by hanging on a tree. Jesus, who God raised on the third day. Jesus, who appeared to those God chose to be witnesses. Jesus, who commanded his apostles to preach the gospel and to testify for the sake of the Gentiles. Jesus, who the prophet said would come and offer forgiveness to all who believe in him. The Jesus of whom there is no partiality, who saved you not because of your family or your race or your political affiliations or your preferences or your uniqueness or your contributions to your community or your charitable donations, so on and so forth. This Jesus who saved you because he chose you to be an heir to the riches of his mercy and grace. Peter is saying this Jesus is the one who has declared you clean. That's the message of the gospel. Peter does it there and I don't know, I don't know how to count in like 15 verses. Paul reminds us in Romans 1.16, he said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So this is an all-inclusive gospel. And not only that, but the message of the gospel, it always brings clarity. If you want clarity in your life, the message of the gospel is what brings clarity to your life. It brings clarity to problem areas that we need to confront, that the church needs confronting. In the case of Peter, he sees the power of God's spirit falling on these Gentiles who heard the word to the point where his message, his message actually stops short and he calls for an immediate baptism service. It reminds us that we should never doubt the power of the gospel to transform the lives of the most unlikely. That should help you. That should give you confidence that you have something that doesn't need to include tricks. It doesn't need light shows. It doesn't need church buildings. It doesn't need gimmicks. It doesn't need branding. It is and has and will always be the power Peter preaches Jesus because it's Jesus, because Jesus is the one that has to move, because Jesus is the only one that can move, because the only thing that can move in you or your neighbors or your state or your nation or the world that has any power, that has any effectual change, it has to be Jesus. It starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We are the ones that complicate that message. So God in his grace confronts Peter with this problem area. He does it through the message and the clarity and the power and the grace of the gospel. 
so that his glory is magnified. And we see how his glory is magnified as he continues to confront the Jewish leaders in this problem area in chapter 11. Look what it says. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. He said, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. In 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So this problem area is confronted by God through the message of the gospel and now eyes are being opened and 2000 years later, we are gathered here worshiping because this is salvation and good news that is available to us. And it's happening right here in this moment. Peter is questioned by the circumcision party, all that stuff that happened, right? And there's this party of Jews that are still holding to this faulty belief that somebody can't come into full fellowship with God unless they've been circumcised, like Jewish law required. And they want to know why the heck he was eating with uncircumcised Gentiles. Peter explains his vision. He explains how the Holy Spirit fell on him. He gives testimony. He tells them the truth of what happened because the Spirit, he said, makes no distinction. This salvation that was prophesied all the way back in the Old Testament that was going to be for all people, it's coming to fruition, Peter is telling them. When we're doing great commission work, which is the spreading of the gospel, when we're putting ourselves out there, religious people don't tend to like it. Religious people didn't like it when Jesus 
put himself out there and spread the good news to people that they thought he shouldn't associate with. It bummed them out. They got real judgy with Jesus. All they could focus on were the people he was associating with, not seeing that this was the reason he came. Not for the righteous or the self-righteous, so to speak, but for those who knew they needed a savior. Why does he eat with Gentiles and sinners, the Pharisees said about Jesus? Not realizing that what gives glory to God are those who see their sin, who repent of it and are saved from it. Again, Jesus told us in Luke 5, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He also calls the self-righteous to repentance, but the self-righteous need to be transformed into seeing themselves as sinners before the gospel transforms them into saved people. If you ever want to know what soft-heartedness before the Lord looks like, you get a picture of it here in verses one through 18, these men who accuse Peter of defiling Jewish law, they eventually give glory to God when they see the impartiality of God, which by the way, goes all the way back to Moses. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament law. In Deuteronomy, this is what it said, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. That's what he said all the way back in the time of Moses. He said, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And Paul echoes this in Romans 3.28 when he said, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or he said, is God, God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. So God will confront us through the message of the gospel so that his glory is magnified. This is the work that he did in the early church. It's the work that he's doing in our church today. So what are some implications for us from this? I have three things. First one is this, is that God corrects us through confrontation. Greg Strand, we hosted, a, uh, we hosted an event, a conference a couple days ago uh, with the Evangelical Free Church of America, our district here. We got to host a conference and the, the person that spoke, a guy named Greg Strand, he heads up theology um, for our denomination. And he, he made this comment and he asked, basically asked this question, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, when you read scripture, do you read it like looking through a window or like looking at a mirror? And he said this, if you read it like looking through a window, it's always them that the passage applies to. Them that need to deal with their sin and to repent. He said, on the other hand, if you read scripture, looking at a mirror, you see yourself as the one who is being confronted with truth that needs to cut you to the heart. The problem is that it's hard to look in the mirror. As much as we love to look in the mirror, as much as that we're addicted to look in the mirror, 
The mirror also does things to us because we see things that confront our perception of what we imagine we actually look like. So the mirror of our hearts is the same way. Scripture confronts our sin. Scripture does this. And we need scripture to do this. So when we read God's word, it has a correcting influence on us. So when you read God's word and we read these passages, maybe you're somebody that goes, yeah, and I'm thinking of my neighbor. I'm thinking of my friend. I'm thinking of the guy sitting next to me. I'm thinking of my mom. I'm thinking of my dad. I'm thinking of my aunt, my grandma. I'm thinking of all these people, man. I would love them to hear this message. Well, that's reading scripture as if you are looking out the window at other people instead of reading it as if you're looking in a mirror and you're letting it correct some of the things in your heart that need confronting and correcting. God corrects us through confrontation with his word. It's a gracious thing too, which leads me to my second point, which is that God is patient with us in our problem problem areas, right? God is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger, scripture tells us. He is abounding in steadfast love. Listen, God was still using Peter even though there were some problem areas in his life. He was still using Peter. He still loved Peter. So we had, a couple weeks ago, we had a friend come in and demolish our bathroom. We're trying to remodel our bathroom. Um, So if you're to walk in there right now, man, it just, it looks like, you know, it looks like the apocalypse, right? There's no sink, there's no toilet, there's no shower. It's been super hard for Melissa getting ready in the morning in there. I don't know how she's doing. I'm kidding, we have another bathroom. Um, you guys are really quiet this morning. Um, but my point is, is that it doesn't mean the rest of our house is unusable because we have one room that is being remodeled, right? And that's kind of a metaphor for our lives. There's always gonna be problem areas. There's always gonna be areas that God confronts and he does it with patience. He does it with grace. He does it with mercy. Sometimes that grace and mercy feels a little more abrupt than it does at other times, right? Because sometimes he really is not just trying to scrape away at something, but he just peels it away. He rips it out. He's gonna work how he wants to work, but he always does it with patience and he always continues to use us in the process. He doesn't just sideline us until he deals with us. So God corrects us by confronting us with scripture. God is patient with us in our problem areas like we see with Peter. And then finally, God has determined who your neighbors are. And by the way, that goes along with the the first two points I said, if it sounds a little abrupt. By correcting us through confrontation and by being patient with us in our problem areas, it allows us to see very clearly who he has predetermined who our neighbors already are, which is what he laid out to Peter here. God is all-inclusive, right? If 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 you're... head is in like news channels and media outlets all the time. You wouldn't think that hearing politicians. You'd think that there's this specialized group that God is really, really happy with. Now we get a different view here from scripture. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. God loves those who are unlike you. The Lord challenges Peter we need challenging. We don't get to determine who God will be merciful to. We just show mercy. We don't get to determine who God will show grace to. We just show grace to people. 
Are we going to withhold what God has so lovingly lavished on us to others? Well, if so, then we need the vision that Peter got where God said, don't call common what I have made clean. Romans 8.32 said, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Are we sparing God's son from others because they're different from us? Because we don't agree with them on everything? Because their lifestyles are different? Are we going to despise those made in the image of God because they don't reflect the image that we would like them to have? Because they have a different skin color? Because they have different political convictions? Because they have less money or more money than we do? because they work a different kind of job than we do, because they've known the Lord for less time than us and have some areas that need sanctifying? What about the areas in some of our lives that need sanctifying after knowing the Lord for decades? Scripture doesn't tell us we need to agree with our neighbor. Scripture doesn't tell us to approve of our neighbor's practices. Scripture tells me I have to love my neighbor. Let me go back because I don't want us to be confused about this, okay? Scripture doesn't tell us we need to agree with our neighbor. You realize we can have disagreements with people and still love them. Scripture doesn't tell us we have to approve of our neighbor's practices. In fact, Scripture would say the opposite, that we should not approve of practices that don't please God. At the same time, over and over again, Scripture tells me that I need to love my neighbor so we can hold all those things together in truth and in practice. So when we see the lengths God went to confront and convict Peter, we need to look into those areas of our lives or religion or politics, or prejudice, or economics has reduced our desire to love our neighbor. Because that's the kind of heart that Jesus came to save us from. So listen, for substance to live out the great commission like Peter, we need to love and obey the great commissioner, Jesus. We need to lay down our wrong thinking. We need to lay down our prejudices. We need to lay down our racisms. We need to lay down our lack of love toward thus unlike us, towards those unlike us. And we need to repent. Ronnie, do you really think that there is prejudice and racism in this church? Yes, I do. It's in beliefs that have been long held that come from our parents and our grandparents. It's in flippant remarks that we make and we hold to that we think are no big deal or they generate laughs. And it's not just racism. It's anything that allows us to think that we're in a place that God has more favorable response to than they are because of who they are, where they've come from, and the life that they have led The gospel tells us this, 
the good news is available for all because all who call the name of Jesus will be saved. Because listen, we are all being saved from the same thing. Do you understand that? Do you realize that? Sin comes in different percentages, but never with different advantages. All sin is separation from God. And Jesus died and rose again to reunite us with God and to make us clean. So what God has made clean, we must never call common because the God that cleanses us is anything but common. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have cleansed us by the blood of Jesus. We thank you that in all of our mess and all of our wrong thinking, you have sent your son to make us righteous, to bring righteousness to our account. So God, I pray, Lord, these things, these areas, these problem areas, these places that need confrontation in our hearts, God, you would speak to us this morning. You would convict us. You would also remind us of your compassion for us. Thank you for being so patient with us. Thank you for allowing us to be here today, gathered, opening your word, reading it, singing it, praying through it, giving us such ample grace and opportunity and time for things that may be so buried we don't even realize their problems to surface them in ways that you give us time to realize and then repent of, all the while loving us like you did Peter, all the while gently rebuking us and reproving us. Why? Well, because that's what good dads do. Because good dads don't just let their children continue on a path of destruction but you pull us out, you redirect us. So thanks for doing that, God, because we need it. I need it. I'm the first one that needs it in this room. So thank you for surfacing things in my heart that are off, that aren't in alignment with truth. And I pray for all of us, God, that we would be a church that desperately and dearly loves our neighbor because we have a salvation that has been given to all who trust in the name of Jesus, regardless of background and upbringing and political affiliations and skin color and all of these things that are so divisive right now in our nation. But God, we're the church. We're called to something holier. We're called to a mission that was given to us by the creator of the universe. So I pray that we might take seriously that call and that you would continue to chip away in those areas of our lives, Lord, that need to be reshaped. Lord, you're so good to do that for us. We don't have to walk away condemned today. We can walk away thoughtful, reflecting 
on those areas that we might need to bring before you and repent. There might even need to be people in this room we need to go to and repent before because we've held opinions of them or we've treated them in a way that was unloving. So God, do this work in our hearts today. Thank you for being good to do it. We pray in Christ's name, amen.